My name is Anda Ginska, and this is Pros and Content. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch, a digital content intelligence platform. I'm a massive data nerd who's fallen in love with storytelling. And so on the Pros and Content podcast, we will be featuring a series of really incredible leaders who believe in storytelling and who have different perspectives on the importance, measurement, scalability, and optimization of storytelling. Today on Pros and Content, number eight in our series of online roundtables. Our hosts, Anda Gonska and Rachel Tipograf, are once again joined by a litany of marketers and leaders who have had their ear to the ground since the onset of the COVID-19 crisis. Together, they discuss how certain brands have evolved their marketing messaging and content across the course of the COVID-19 crisis, the lasting changes that it's going to have on how marketers approach their work, and which companies stood by their values and messaging throughout it all. This episode was recorded on May 14th, 2020. We hope you enjoy. And welcome to our regular Thursday gathering. Um, I continue to be most excited about these. They continue to be the highlight of my week. Um, and Rachel and I didn't really get a chance to chat before this one. So I'm actually really excited to get Rachel's feelings in real time. I'll start with my own. Um, last week, I feel like we talked a lot about how we're sick of talking about COVID. And by this week, I'm both getting like excited about the fact that the weather's great and I want to run out and do things and kiss people and go to restaurants. And then I'm also equally frustrated that I can't. So I'm, I'm trying to walk the line between the two. Um, and what's hard is, again, we don't know exactly how and when this ends, but there's, I think, more and more of a desire for people to reconnect. And we're seeing that especially come through in some of the content that's coming out of the customers that we work with. So that's where I'm at and that's how I'm feeling. That's what I've been getting from the Notch team as well. How are you doing, Rachel? Oh man, I'm a lot of things. No, but uh, overall, well, yeah, it's it's an interesting time. Like uh, in retail, there's been some really big headlines this week uh, with Macy's reopening their doors. Gap, my alma mater, just announced that they're reopening their doors, but there's going to be so many precautions around that. Um, so I think come next week and the week after when it comes to the webinar, we'll have more data points to share in terms of whether people are really ready to return back to store. And so that's gonna be really interesting. From an e-com standpoint, I mean, we just continue to see insane growth across um, so many categories. And I insinuated last week, like we're starting to see people buy more, um, more ancillary products like fashion and cosmetics makeup again continue to see that this week though i would say like if people are buying clothes it's really been focused on knitwear so we're not we're not seeing people buy pants yet and i think that will be the big sign when folks decide to go out their doors um but yeah i agree like Anna, i'm more hopeful this week than i was last week i know you've always been more optimistic than me that's not true i think when this started i i was very pessimistic because i you know i'm eastern european so what we do is we envision the worst case scenario and then everything else is just optimism after that yeah. you know but I actually heard, um, you know, Anda and I spent a lot of time talking about not just client stuff, but company culture. And uh, someone informed me today that Microsoft announced that they're not reopening their office all the way through October 31st. Um, so it's also interesting to see how people are going to be returning to work and what that's going to do to impact culture. Uh, but I feel like we have so many amazing panelists today. I don't know how we just keep outdoing ourselves. It's, it's quite impressive, but I can take no credit uh, because Anda's team does so much of the heavy lifting. Uh, but I'm really excited to hear from everyone. 
That's very kind of you, Rachel. Um, okay, well, let's jump in. And uh, first up, we have uh, Monique from Akamai Technologies. Welcome, Monique. How are you? Can you hear us? Hold on. There we there go. There we go. I'm off mute. Hi. Hi. And you're dialing in from Vermont, where it sounds like it's equally sunny and nice, and the world's finally starting to go out, right? You were just saying before. Yeah, in fact, we had 80 degree weather or 70 or high seven or 70s this past weekend, but it's supposed to snow tomorrow. So we're not quite out of uh, New England spring yet. <laughs> well, so I uh, tried very hard to get you on the webinar because I think Akamai is a fascinating company, um, especially during a time like this. For those who are listening who don't know what Akamai is, I would love for you to give them the super high level pitch and then explain maybe a little how this this crisis has felt from a demand standpoint for what you guys do sure so akamai is um has traditionally when the company started was known as a content delivery platform um, that's a network that um, is in uh, 2000 data centers around the world and it's really built to help with internet content delivery um, in particular things like video streaming live sports um, that sort of content needs to get to end users quickly. Um, we don't want buffering and it needs to be secure. And so over the course of the past 20 years, um, we've also grown our security business. Um, that is uh, about half of the business almost, or maybe a third of the business now. And so um, we play a big role in cloud security uh, as well. So we felt we are a B2B company. We sell the large enterprises primarily. So how has it been? Oh, yeah. And then, yeah. So um, the question was on demand, managing demand, um, and which is a big question because I think, you know, uh, sort of how we've been managing everything and demand as a part of it. You know, I think what we realized very, very quickly in this situation was that we needed to make adjustments. And we needed to make adjustments based upon what all of our customers were experiencing, what everybody was experiencing in the world. Um, we, we did a couple things early. One was that we, we canceled in-person events, as many folks did. That gave us a little bit of time. We canceled them initially through May and then obviously have extended that. Um, but then the next thing that we did is we actually went out and spoke to customers um, to understand, you know, what were they thinking about? What were they needing? What were they not needing? Um, and then we started to look very closely at our data, things like um, site traffic, search data, the signals that we were getting. And we basically turned off much of our demand generation engine that was focused on certain parts of our portfolio and refocused it on what we would call business continuity. Um, so ensuring remote employee access and secure remote employee access became a larger part of a business continuity campaign. And that's where we put demand focus versus all those areas that we knew didn't really matter to people. When we talked, you also mentioned that you leaned out of certain markets like um, Italy yes. and China. Mm -hmm. um, when did yeah. you do that? And are you now starting to go back into them? Yeah. So, you know, we're still looking. So we look at, um, you know, probably 15 markets uh, on a weekly basis. And we started doing that about a month ago, six weeks ago. And what we've created is what we call, like to call sort of a, well, we have a dashboard. And I think marketing is the tip of the spear. Like we see leading indicators around human behavior, around are people visiting the website? Are they clicking on content? Are they engaging in search? Can we reach them? Can our sales development reps actually contact the customer um, in their home? Do we have their mobile number? So that, that data that we got for all of these markets started to give us some pretty important views. We saw early on, 
um, that, yes, Italy was really not responding, you know, and I think we sort of understand as humans why that was the case. Um, And then we've seen other markets, for example, in APJ, we are seeing pretty rapid recovery. Uh, South Korea is one market right now where um, the local team is feeling an enormous sense of optimism. Um, They're asking about when they can start in-person events again. And, you know, trying to manage that global landscape. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, we've got a process that we're defining to say, when do, when do we feel safe as a company? When do we think customers will feel safe? And how, what is an in-person event now? It, do you serve food? <laughs> do you not serve food? <laughs> you know, a lot of things that we need to, uh, to rethink. But, yes, that market view has been very helpful in us establishing different approaches based upon where um, industries and where uh, markets are in this process. And just out of curiosity for South Korea, because I think it's such an interesting data set for us to look at, um, have, have your uh, sales reps started actually taking meetings with customers? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And now these aren't big group meetings. These are, you know, one-to-one meetings. And I would say, you know, the volume is nothing like it was before, um, but selective meetings are happening. Yes. That's cool to hear. So I wanted to switch gears a little and understand a bit more about the company culture and what do you think um, this has really, this crisis has helped you see about the company culture you didn't know before. Um, And then also separately, what are some things about it that you hope will persist even past the crisis? Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that was so interesting for me coming to Akamai, you know, I worked for a different technology company for um, more than 15 years. And um, when you work in one place a long time, you sort of assume that every technology, I don't know, I guess maybe not everybody, but I sort of assumed like, oh, well, this technology company is going to feel the same way. And, um, and it doesn't. It's a very different and unique culture. It is extremely people-oriented. Um, that comes from the top. Our CEO sets the tone, um, and he cares deeply and personally, even outside of COVID, about um, open thinking, um, about diversity, um, about really honest communications. So that existed beforehand, and I think what we've seen and what our employees are experiencing is that level of compassion just amplified. Um, and it manifests itself in a lot of ways, um, you know, some that you would expect, like really quickly out of the gate, moving to a work at home policy, um, a lot of work that's been done to provide employees and managers with tools so that people can be effective in this environment. And obviously increasing the amount of communication um, and creating personal connections through that communication. I think one thing that's really been, been valuable that I'd like to see us continue is, you know, obviously everybody's communicating more, right? You feel like, you know, you used to run a town hall on a quarterly basis. Now you need to do it monthly. You used to have team meetings once a week. Now you need to do it a couple of times, right? Because you don't have that in-person um, interaction. Um, but the thing that I, that I think is most valuable right now are the personal connections that are being created in this environment whether it's because you, you get a view into people's homes, your cat walks across your screen, all of a sudden everybody knows the name of your cat. Um, we're creating team chat environments that didn't exist before. So teams are collaborating and talking and, you know, even engaging on the weekends and things that have nothing to do with work, but engaging at a personal level. 
that are creating connections that wouldn't have existed before. And I hope that those elements of engagement really continue going forward. That makes sense. Thank you for that. Um, I see a question here around um, how are brands creating content in this environment? And I'm curious to hear, um, and I'll kind of tell you a quick anecdote, and I'm curious to hear how it is in, inside of Akamai. We've seen that for a lot of our customers, these content teams that we work with have become like the first responders in a wave on the marketing side, because they're the ones who have to explain a really complicated and strange phenomenon to employees, to investors, to uh, customers as well. So is there a team or a set of people inside of Akamai that have become, you know, the single most important people during this time? And if so, yeah. who is it? Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we are, you know, I think of marketing as an engine, right? And you could say that content and campaigns are sort of at the heart of the engine, but the engine doesn't work if all the pieces aren't working together. So um, uh, I would, I'm not sure I'd say most important team. I would say one of the busiest teams for sure, because what we've had to do is, you know, obviously create some new content, um, especially in these areas where we weren't really framing or communicating our offerings in ways around business continuity, but also going back and looking at all of our prior content to say, you know, how does this land now? Is this totally right? Is this resonating? Um, so there's been an enormous amount of rework that's had to happen. You know, and then on top of that, we're sort of saying, okay, well, if this is our future for a while, what do we want to double down on? And how do we create great new content that, you know, I think people care about video now more than they do, you know, you know, video, stackable video than, than other things. And so that team is really responsible for designing what that future roadmap is going to be as well. A virtual events content, that's a whole other fun piece. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much. Please stay on because we're going to do a couple of Q&A soon. Um, and for the audience, I know we forgot to mention this, but there's a Q&A functionality where you can submit your questions. Uh, please feel free to pile them on and we're going to start taking them in the next 20 to 30 minutes. Um, okay, so Rachel, I know we're doing a uh, another poll today. Um, and I think we were supposed to go out at the beginning, but I guess we could just do it now and then see what comes back with the data. So let's see it. Let's see it. Notch team, are you ready to do it? I feel like they're probably all like, oh my God, you should have told us. <laughs> Where is this pull button? Okay. There you go. Thank As you. As a consumer, what types of content would you like to see from brands in the next month? You can select more than one option. So what type of content do you want coming out from a brand over the next four weeks? Let us know. I'm actually voting myself very focused on this. Let's see. Um, How come e-commerce isn't on here? Ooh. Guys, give me some you can love. You up with the team afterwards. <laughs> love. Um, okay, so we're going to see the results of that shortly. Um, but meanwhile, I want to move on to our second guest. Amy, welcome. Can you hear us? Hello, yes. How are you? Good. So I actually found out that you used to be at Campbell's um, before you joined Zillow. So I think it's going to be fun to have Campbell's on shortly as well. Yeah. Um, so 
Amy, you're the CMO at Zillow. Um, you had the most fascinating stats and data when we caught up before the, the webinar. Um, I would love to just start by hearing from you a couple of those stats. What have you seen happen to the real estate industry? Is it completely dead um, or is it actually kicking into gear? Is it more on the rental side or the purchase side? Curious what you can tell us. Sure. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are making, a, um, going back to the Great Recession and saying, you know, oh my God, are we going, are we going in that direction? Um, we're not really in that, going in that direction because that was a housing developed kind of recession. Um, we do think home sales will likely see about a 60% drop and prices may fall 2 to 3%. Um, but we are also seeing that the fundamentals of the market are going to fuel the recovery. So um, it's been interesting because everybody's like, the market has stopped. There's still people buying and selling homes. Like there's still people that want to move. Just now the whole thing is fascinating to me is the way in which people are moving. Um, you know, we're, we see over and over again, and we're hearing people want to get out of the city and they want to get in the suburbs. How are they doing it? through virtual tours, through 3D tours, through other types of things like that. How do I get a mortgage? How do I get out of it? People are all in different places right now. You probably all know somebody who is either been uh, furloughed or affected negatively. You probably know people that weren't affected at all. You probably know people that are stuck in apartments in Manhattan trying to get out. You may be one of them. You may be, have, have been able to have the luck to have a second home somewhere else that you were able to escape to. So everybody is in a different place. So what we're trying to do is figure out where are people and how do we help them understand where they are in this whole process if they're moving, if they're dreaming, if they're stuck, if they're like, I can't get a mortgage, what does that look like and how do we help them? So I don't think it's not definitely not stopped. It's definitely slowed down. Um, and I think people need help. So how do we help them? Yeah, so we, when we were talking uh, about marketing and whether uh, companies should invest in marketing during a time like this, you said something that I thought was funny, which is, um, you said marketing is often thought of as a bad word, um, but but really the way a lot of brands are thinking about marketing is how do we help customers during a, a time like this? So yeah. I would love for you to expand on that. How did you get Zillow to not think of marketing as a bad word during a time like this? Uh, sure. So a couple of different ways. So I'm trying to and have been expanding marketing to mean more about customer experiences and not in a fluffy way, but in actually where are the friction points, where are the customers and really all marketing is is communicating to somebody something effectively such that it helps to get them from point A to point B. Um, so to do that, you have to understand who the customer is. So we've been sharing a lot in the company is who is the customer? Where are they? Why are they stuck? Um, the second part is what are going to be the communication points? How do we communicate that? And why is it important that we spend on communication? Why is it important we have it on site? Why is it important we do PR? And how do all those things work together? Um, it's not hawking come here and submit on that. It's, it's so beyond that. It's about the experiences that you're setting up and how you influence others in the organization to have a similar understanding of the customer, similar communication points so your brand shows up in the same way and you're doing it in a convincing and um, authentic way to your customers. So all it is is really effective communication, sometimes paid for. <laughs> you, you actually were talking about the spot that you came out with um, and I like the idea that you mentioned, <clears throat> I think you said something along the lines of there's no more important place than home right now. And it really resonated with me. Um, how, how did you come about creating that? I'm curious, like how much planning did it take and 
What's the story behind that creative? Sure. Um, we were kind of sitting in the question you asked when we first started, like, oh my God, what do we do? Everything is stopped. Um, and then we were literally on a uh, blue jeans. We use blue jeans and we're all talking to each other and like, well, but we're all kind of stuck in our home and a kid runs in and like, there's my Versa climber, right? I'm in my gym right now. I have been in my gym with really poor lighting for any. So everybody's stuck in their spot and that's the reality. And then we started talking about how special it is the place we're in and how we have to realize that. And it just became like, a, it became an idea. Like we're a company that helps you either dream or buy a house. So it is important that we reflect on that. Um, and the idea from the time we had an idea to when it was shot and out, I think was about two and a half weeks. Um, it was super fast. Uh, we had to find a director that could shoot in his own home. We had to find a home that you could see through the windows. We had to do all of this stuff. And it was amazing because it's, um, we all see each other in our own homes. We have to make them come to life. The employees are sitting in our homes. The customers are sitting in their homes. And how do you just say like, this is a special moment. We realize what's going on for good or bad. Let's just reflect and be. And it just felt right. I mean, I can't, I, it's, it just felt like the right thing to be talking about. I'm seeing a question here from Gretchen. Uh, what kind of content is Amy focused on given the audience need just described? Mm -hmm. So outside of the the kind of inspirational, hopeful content, what else have you been putting out there? Sure. So we're thinking of customers in the spectrum. Um, we know a lot about how the groups are feeling. Everything from like, I actually want to buy and sell, but I live in ABC City and the government has been shut down. So I can't get my mortgage through help um, to escape and we have been doing things on social, like which of these four um, locked in homes would you like to be in, you know, and you get to choose which of the ones you want to be in. So we're looking at a spectrum from, I need to motivate and get out, but I don't know how. Um, financially, I need, I'm stuck. How do I get unstuck or I'm fine and I need to move forward. Uh, what can I do in this space? Cause I don't need the walls yellow anymore uh, to how do I increase the screen view and the street view of my home? So while I'm stuck in this place, how do I help myself move to escapism? So we've actually blocked out a couple of different pieces, um, uh, strategies. We're doing content. We're running content live on a bunch of different places. We're seeing how it performs and as it performs better or not in those channels, we're amplifying content. We're, we're constantly building content. The beautiful thing, and I think lots of people are seeing this now about content, is it shouldn't be throwaway. Like if you're really relevant to where the customer is, I can always use why a credit rating of 500 is not going to get you a mortgage. There's always going to be people that need to know that. This time, I guess the the silver lining on this time is we're actually are building a lot of content now that we wouldn't have spent time doing, doing in the past. And we're learning a lot about the customers that are accessing it to help us actually build more of an understanding on the customers and connection to the content. I love that. Every time uh, I hear the word content come out of a CMO's mouth, I'm like, yes, content. <laughs> um, are you changing the, the way you're investing across channels? There's another question from Gretchen that you just asked. Oh, yeah, we are. Um, we're trying to bounce. Uh, we, it's been great because um, Rich, the CEO, has been very open with investors and employees on like, here's our P&L. And we're trying to remain such that we have enough catch so that we are respectful for the employees and we can keep our employees employed. But we, and we also have to run our business. So what does that look like? So we're taking a really hard view on where is every dollar being spent and how do we optimize for the business? How do we optimize for the employee? So we are shifting to keep the brand message needs to be out and we need to still be in the conversation. 
from a, um, a, a performance perspective, it's like, you know, if your share of pie, how much do you spend within performance? So we're really spending time on that. We're literally looking at it week by week to adjust for the rolling next two or three weeks. So we're trying to be as flexible as possible to really make sure the outcomes are worth the spend. And we know we still have to stay in the, in the, in the marketplace in order to be top of mind. I don't know if that answered her question. Yeah, yeah. no, I think that's great. Um, I love the fact that your CEO shared your PNL with investors. That's incredible. Um, I mean, at a time when a lot of companies are not sharing anything with investors, I think that's a really massive step. Um, shows the culture of transparency, both internally and externally. Um, I'm curious, also getting inspired by another question. I mean, you may completely disagree with this, by the way, but um, Lee says that a lot of advertising currently seems very patronizing. Um, nuclear family, happy, clappy, locked in spacious households, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the question is, do you think that now that advertisers and brands have had a little bit more time to plan, that they're going to come out with something that feels a bit more natural next quarter or in the next two quarters? Um, I guess it's in my head where I go to is if the brand understands their mission and purpose, the communication should flow such that they're natural to the customer. The question I want to know is do the brands understand how they want to show up to their customers in this environment and how they can be of service to the customer? Um, and I think the more businesses that connect those two, they'll come out then with more natural messaging than trying to fit a message to a moment in time because they're trying to sell something. Mm -hmm. So I'm hopeful that you'll have more time to think about it. And it does take a while in this environment to produce things that people will be more sensitive to both their mission as a company, as well as where their customers are sitting. So therefore the content will be better. Um, but I also know that people still are like mission mission. I got to sell this thing. I'm going to talk the way I think we need to speak. Well, I was going to ask you as a quick follow-up, do you feel like overall the industry has become less transactional and a little bit more value driven and has Zillow become that in, in the way you do marketing? Uh, I mean, we certainly are now. Um, and I do feel, it does feel like, it does feel like companies are like, how can I help? Like there, there is this part of it where it has become a lot less. I, I don't know that I'd say everybody's walking away from business. I mean, there's still business and communication, right? You still have to drive awareness and those kind of things. Um, um, but it does feel more like we're here for you kind of messaging. That's a lot more authentic. Yeah. And people really are coming from the mission space, right? We, we were, I mean, Zillow came from zillions of zillion, zillion pillows, it came from the heart of, I want to know about where the customer puts their head so I can help bring transparency to this marketplace. Mm. And so from us, it's about being transparent. And from other companies, they come from their place. And when they do, it really shows. And I think customers really, if they connect with the brand in that way and you're being authentic to them, it'll feel more natural. That makes sense. And one final question, because I'm curious about the summer rental market. Um, I'm, I'm in the Hamptons and like, God, the prices on houses here, it's insane. Um, do you see a ton of activity? I mean, is the Hamptons really crazy or is it happening across the board? <laughs> You're going to have to ask Svenja back, our chief economist. Uh, I, I actually don't know how the Hamptons are, but it was funny. Everybody's like going, oh my God, is it time to get in the market now? I'm like, it's always time to get in the market. Um, <laughs> I, uh, uh, everything is going to be, we're seeing region specific stuff happening. Um, but good luck with your property <laughs> and good luck to everybody who's renting this summer to hopefully you get a new house that you can love in a different uh, setting. 
That's the hope. I have so many more questions here for you, but I know we have to go on to Rachel. If you can stay on for a little bit longer, we'll do a longer Q&A in sure. about 10, 15 minutes. Sure. Thank you so much, Amy. Sure, thanks. I knew this would turn into a personal real estate discussion. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sorry. I just couldn't help it. There were so many questions. That were no, like, are you kidding? I have like 8,000. Amy, should we buy a house? In yeah. I'm joking, I'm joking. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, I think we're moving on to Linda Lee, CMO of Campbell's Meals and Beverages. I am sure you are so busy right now because America is returning to their favorite brands. That's right. Yes. Getting all that soup and pasta sauce and chicken and all sorts of good stuff. Um, it's been amazing. The, uh, just the commitment of our employees of getting as much food into the food supply. Yeah. And on top of everything, you're also a few months into a new job. Yes. What a crazy time to join um, this company. Absolutely. I started at the beginning of December. Okay. So I guess tell me about like marketing at Campbell's pre-COVID and now in COVID, like how has your life changed, your go-to-market, what are you guys focused on? You know, um, I came in and the brief was we got to generate more demand. You know, it was very much demand generation being the brief and, you know, in a split second, it's now swung to how do we get the supply? Um, how do we, you know, the demand is now here. What is it then we need to go and do, whether it's on the supply side or from a marketing view of, hey, this is about providing greater utility. We know that people are now are home. They're having to make three meals a day. It's a massive shift. And, and so what, what can we do to help with those moments? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that you guys have an internal creative studio on top of agency partners in a time where you had to like act fast on your feet, like internally explain to me the marketing operations and maybe things that you changed to go to market quicker. Yeah, so actually, um, there's been a lot of change uh, at Campbell. And so I would say in coming in that internal content or um, studio production studio has actually been less of a, um, having a little less, we've actually moved probably more into partners, external partners and such. And if anything, in this moving quickly, because for us, um, the response was very much of where do we double down and how do we move quickly in doing so. It's been a combination of because previously because we did have production, some production, um, some of the things have been, you know, we've done it ourselves, but a lot of it has been leaning into content partners. Hmm. And, yeah. Got it. And so that's from a content side. Where have you doubled down from a media investment side? Like you're saying there's so much demand, does that mean you, you don't advertise anymore because the demand's there organically? How do you think about these things? We asked ourselves that, right? That question and the answer was very much no, this is the time to be showing up. Mm -hmm. And um, for us, you know, we started with, well, what are the rules of the road as we do that though? And making sure that we're not tone deaf and that we're adding real value. And it came down to two simple things. Where can we provide comfort and relief and where can we provide utility? So then in terms of media choices then, you know, there were some things that were obvious that we needed to stop. Um, I think Monique touched on some of those um, just obvious things where it involves 
crowds of folks or you know in-person types of uh, media choices but um within you know the the digital space and even tv i mean i look at this and prior to all of this you would say hey tv was slowly on the decline and all of a sudden it's now you know shifting back so we've made some choices like that um and for us when it comes to utility that really is related to recipes and ideas So how do we do that? There's the obvious things related to it, but then there are some fun things that we've started that we just weren't planning to do, such as the the virtual parties. Um, So how do we, um, we know people are cooking more, so how do we use this newfound kind of love of virtual experiences and help people um, have some cooking, uh, you know, whether it's teaching or parties associated to that. I love that. in terms of like consumer taste, has America's appetite changed during this time? Like, are you seeing new things being put into the basket, new recipes being made? Yeah, you know, so a couple things. I think there's um, comfort is definitely, you know, a preference. So I think we're seeing that across the board of people making those choices of, of uh, brands and products and flavors and, and that bring that sense of comfort. Um, but we're, we are also finding some surprising things. Not They're not brand new, but things that have just popped. So using V8 as an ingredient. Um, use it, so people are just being I very- I put it in my Bloody Mary. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, yes. Um, so, but I think you're seeing that. So even though people want the comfort, they also want that creativity um, along with it. And that's where we're you know, trying to make sure that we're offering those ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so selfishly, I'm going to turn to e-com for a second. So your category has experienced, you know, crazy demand within e-commerce. Um, and I'll, I'll give industry stats, right? Pre-COVID, you know, a food, a behemoth food brand might have said that 3% of their overall revenue came from e-com. All of a sudden, the week of March 9th happens, it shifts, and now it's like 33% of revenue. Internally. What did that do from how you guys operate, how you're servicing like your e-com channels versus brick and mortar? And I'll stop there before I ask my follow-up question. <laughs> yeah, I would say um, for from where I'm sitting, it's very much in recognition that the e-com adoption has probably been accelerated by five years. And, and so um, from where I am, it's the, well, we need to accelerate our, our own plans now by five years um, because it is a bit of more in that planning mode of what does this mean now? Um, whether it's our investments, um, our various partners and relationships, um, our own products, you know, what innovation um, changes we need to be doing. Uh, so in just in capabilities, infrastructure, ways of working, um, that's been the space that we've been now um, really doubling down in and talking about actively of, hey, something has massively changed and we don't see that turning back. So how do we speed up um, to catch up on this, on this change? And from like a skill standpoint, uh, an investment standpoint, what are some of those changes that you might be like thinking about right now? 
I mean, the, the easy answer is we got to increase those, but how do we do that? And mm-hmm. how do we, um, that's all the work that's happening now mm-hmm. of, of understanding what, what tomorrow looks like and what does it mean for us metrics wise partnerships, et cetera. And mm-hmm. um, so people always ask me this question and I want, I want to hear your take. So, you know, consumer demand accelerated by five years, obviously we're in a pandemic. When the world normalizes, do you think it will stay there? Will it retract? Like, what are you guys forecasting in terms of consumer behavior? Like, a third of America still be buying their groceries online, or will it be different? I mean, I we don't. None of us know the exact numbers, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to share kind of our internal. Uh, numbers, of course, but in terms of the principles of that, yeah, it is, it's not going to go backwards, right? Once you've learned that it's okay for someone else to touch my groceries, to, to pick my produce, um, and actually it's a benefit, it's one less thing to have to do, I think that is going to continue. And, um, but, you know, I think there's also, there's no question, there's it's a, what is the new normal? There is still a, an experiential aspect mm-hmm. to shopping as well. So what, I'm sure there will be innovation in what that's going to look like. What does experiential look like mm-hmm. virtually or physically? Um, but I think these are things that, you know, we're not right now, we're probably, it's, that's probably two steps removed to what we're worried about mm-hmm. um, in the near term of what's next and it is in that you know online shopping is it's going to stick it's going to continue its adoption of that and in you know things that matter to me become well we know people will continue to want innovations but instead of running into it you know in a store how do you create awareness and trial in that space which is not new to be honest you know i think um, the e-com space has been a space for many brands um, to start and to grow from. It's just that companies that are larger, um, it is making that, you know, that accelerated shift. Yep. Um, so moving now into how your company, uh, I know you were only there a few months before COVID, but, you know, Campbell's, it's been around for a long time. It's a big corporate organization. How has the culture evolved at Campbell's during this time? Yeah, like you said, um, I haven't been there very long, but long enough to when I um, got here to quickly assess, you know, what have I joined? And it's been pretty amazing to see the consistency of that. So when I joined, my my first impression was this is a very people-centric company. You know, the, the human piece is very, you could feel it. And I think during this crisis, um, it really is and during difficult moments that I think, you know, your true self shows. And um, that's what I have felt in, in, you know, in this experience is that the people first absolutely shows up. And it is, um, it is very much how we've, our CEO stated it from day one of all of our decisions will be following that principle of putting, you know, the well-being of our 
of employees first and and not just employees but our but people humans you know whether it's our customers or consumers all of it but using that as the the guiding principle um well linda thank you so much uh for all of your thoughts Anna, do we want to take any questions from the group uh yeah i think we can i think we can go in grid view um and Team Notch, before we jump into questions, do you want to show the results to the poll? They're again, they're like, what? <laughs> ah, here we go. Interesting. So it seems like employee relations and impact assessment and crisis management are at the bottom of the list. Community and collaboration are at the top. Interesting to know. We'll definitely include e-commerce next, Rachel. I could hear you when you were talking to Linda. You're like, okay, enough about content, Linda. Talk about e-commerce. Yeah, of course. No, look, that's why we do this together. Okay, so um, we're in grid view now, um, which means that everyone's photos showing or video is showing. Um, unmute yourself when you want to answer. I'm going to throw a couple of questions out. And um, if you haven't yet talked, then please introduce yourself quickly. So um, first one is actually for me, just because I think it's a really interesting question um, I ask myself, which is during this time, have the measures for success changed um, for the business and for marketing in particular? And so you want to say the word ROI, sure. But I, I often ask myself, how can we measure for the right things during this time to make sure that the team stays focused, but also that we're celebrating the right things when you know previously we might have been celebrating other things. So I'm curious, how does how does that measurement framework look like in your world? Feel free to jump in. Uh, Anda, it's Mo. I'll 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 start with a quick answer, which is something that keeps me up at night. Quite frankly, um, you know, we've traditionally measured ROI based on the investment that we're putting in holistically. And then the revenue that's coming out on the back end, we're not even looking at pipeline. We're actually looking at the conversion of that pipeline into um, uh, MRR, monthly recurring revenue. And, you know, the conversion rates are so different right now. And the, while the pipeline is growing, I think the big question is, when is it going to close? Will it close? And so um, if somebody else has an answer uh, for how to ensure ROI right now, I would love to hear it because... Um, I do think we have to have different measures of success, but I also think we have to be really thoughtful about when are we investing um, when it will pay off and where are we investing where it won't and how do we make those really hard choices? Yeah, and, and when you have to balance not being transactional with doing what's right for the business and the entire ecosystem of the company and marketing in general is measured based on leads or based on revenue, it becomes even trickier. So I, I think it's a great question. I don't, I don't know if anyone has the answer. Anyone else who wants to jump in? I'm curious also from the consumer brand side, if, you're, uh, if before the crisis you were measuring your success in just offline sales, similarly, or online sales, similarly to the B2B tech brands that we have on the call, and if that's shifted to brand, or if it's kind of stayed constant throughout the crisis. <laughs> I'm not getting anyone no, to do it. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I need to answer, but, you know, I, our situation has been a bit, you know, different in the sense that all of our success metrics 
are obviously, they're still relevant in, in the sense that we're still using them. And um, if anything, our metrics are actually related probably more to supply and well-being and, you know, it, more of those types of metrics have been the focus. Makes sense. Amy, did you want to share something? Or you were just taking pity on me? <laughs> I was helping out. The silence couldn't be elongated. Anymore. No, no. Uh, no, I, I, I uh, um, to answer yes and is the uh, brand is being looked at a little bit more like this is important right now. So I don't want to say there's a metric necessarily against it, but there, you know, when people are coming to your site because they're looking for something because they need escapism or to buy something or what have you, wherever you are, that happens and you'll have a transaction nature of showing up. Um, it's this overlay of who are we at this moment and how are we there to help that is been elevated a little bit more, I would say. And then the content itself is now not throwaway um, because there are now hundreds of thousands of people, it's important to show something to. When you have 185 million unique users coming to your site, 50,000 views is like, pff, that's nothing. But when you break down into where people are sitting and you get 50,000 views on something, all of a sudden it becomes important because that's a large sub-segment that is looking for somebody. So I would say that the, the bigness of the brand and the quote-unquote smallness of the niche content has been elevated a bit more. Hmm, I like that. I'm actually curious, you know, we've, we've talked so much about virtual events and live events, and I feel like it's one of the topics that, and questions that gets thrown at marketers all the time. But I'm, I'm curious, given how important these events are, I'm assuming they're important for the real estate space. I'm assuming, I know they're important for B2B tech. Um, how are you, how are you dealing with that? I mean, do you, do you think there's a world, it sounds from Monique, it sounds like there's a world in which we start going back. It sounds like the colleagues in South Korea are asking for it. You know, we had all sorts of assumptions on previous calls saying that we're probably never going back to, you know, Orlando, Florida for the ANAs or whatever kind of big conference, CES, et cetera. Um, how are you thinking about those events coming up now? Do you think it's, it's coming back or not? They're coming back or not? Um, I can jump in. I've Please. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Orchid Bertelson. I lead digital innovation for Nestle USA. Um, so across a portfolio of about 40 brands. Um, I'll put a plug in for Hot Pockets. Please go buy some Hot Pockets. Um, so, you know, when it comes to experiences, and we're talking about that a lot, right? Because historically, when you're planning a physical experience, and I was on the agency side for a period of time, the question that always came up was, how do you, how do you scale this? Like, great, it's fun that you're doing an activation in Times Square, but what happens when, you know, you want to take this experience and replicate it? For us, you know, because we have national distribution on our portfolio, we need to make sure that we can extend that experience to, to everyone, right? Um, and so this was a conversation we were having pre-COVID, um, but obviously, and I think it's been said before, you know, we are um, just consolidating, you know, years of transformation within a matter of weeks and a matter of months. So it is really interesting during this time to see how people are connecting. Um, you know, when we, like how many activities, and I'll actually use meetings as a good example, how many meetings, in-person meetings, did we really have to have, right? Um, and so I think if you kind of take that thinking over to physical ex events, you know, it, it's kind of like that conversation when um, cameras or even phone cameras were allowed in concerts. I think the pushback then was, well, we're, you know, ticket sales are going to go down when actually, in fact, they went up um, because all of a sudden people had access to see what this experience could be like and they still wanted to be a part of it. 
So, you know, we're definitely exploring that space. Um, I think we are taking this time to listen and watch a lot what consumers are doing and what they're saying and what they're looking for. And then we're planning accordingly. And, you know, my realm is emerging tech. Uh, so, you know, obviously, if this isn't a time for VR, like, I really don't know what is. Monique, I know you wanted to jump in. I think you wanted to jump in. Well, sure. I mean, I think, you know, we, I wish I had a crystal ball because I start booking some of the best spaces that probably have a lot of cancellations, <laughs> um, but, we, but we don't. Um, you know, and I think that for B2B, I think there's two things, two competing factors that are going to put a limit on in-person events for a while. I think one is personal choice, right? I mean, people are not going to necessarily feel safe going to large events. So I think much more likely that we'll see smaller roundtable local type of events first. But I think the other thing is depending upon how companies are doing financially, I'm not sure they're going to want to be supporting employees attending big events. I think that T&E budgets are going to go down. I think that there's going to be more scrutiny to, you know, doing sponsorships and things like that. And so do I think that it will, it will ever get back? I probably, you know, I think you, you look down the line a few years, you know, we get past this and there's a lot of value to a lot of events. There's networking value, there's learning value, there's the, you know, just the, the experience of it. So I think it's going to take a while. And I also think that we're going to learn so much at doing virtual events well and how to pay attention, how to be good audiences that I think the days of like this bog standard webinar that you just sort of sit there and somebody drones on, those days are over. And I think virtual events have a lot to, uh, a lot to offer. So I agree. I obviously agree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, I just read a comment or a question um, that this is an all female CMO webinar today. I was going to give that call too, guys. I took a screenshot totally posting on LinkedIn. We didn't um, actively discriminate against men. No, we didn't. We did. You know, something that I've noticed about Onda and my webinars is that we, we always have at least 50% women to 100%. So I think it's complete BS when a conference can't find all the people here. Um, everyone's head nodding. Meanwhile, I will move on to Julie from Slack. Welcome, Julie. Thank you for having me. I'm good. How are you? And I apparently need to give a hello to my cousin, Jenna, who is on this and has sent me a screenshot. So (laughs) hi, Jenna and her friends from Cal, a bunch of student athletes on. And I I just want to say to them, go Stanford. Yes, go Stanford. Wait, are you Stanford grad? I am. Yes. Apparently there's a bunch of Cal kids on. Yes. Probably long before you. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, And uh, I'm really excited to be a part of this amazing group of women. Yeah, exactly. Well, Julie, um, I'm so excited to, to share Slack's story over the last few weeks with the world. Um, we can only imagine how crazy it's been to be inside of Slack during this time. Um, I feel like I'm expecting you to say only positive things and how demand's been going through the roof, but I'm sure that doing the role that you do there, there's also been some challenging moments as well. So, Without further ado, maybe fill us in a little bit on how, how it started, when it started, uh, what was your initial mindset, how fast it's been changing, and then I'll jump in with some questions. Sure. I think when I, I posted about this on LinkedIn, I said, come here about you know the last decade of marketing, aka <laughs> the last 10 weeks. Um, it's, been, it's been a really interesting journey. Um, uh, so this all started for us in February, as it did for, for most people as you started to hear things. Um, and you know we had to go through 
sort of different levels of planning based on what was going on in the world. And I always say I had to think about, you know, our employees, obviously, you know, very much first and, and what we were going to do to take care of them and make the right decisions responsibly. Um, and then we had to think uh, what it meant for uh, our customers, which is where that sort of bled together. We had some events coming up we were doing with customers. We had some obligations and the leadership team had to really come together we started talking about this in the middle of February. Should It started with, should we restrict international travel? And of course, everything accelerated very quickly to us spinning our sales kickoff to being completely virtual, um, spinning all of our in-person events to being virtual, and working with the third-party events we were participating in being virtual. So that was sort of the first thing to go, the things that had real physical requirements. We had to make those decisions fast, even as we were making decisions about things like shutting our offices um, and doing remote work and what we were going to do for people during that time and what we were going to say. You know, one of the things that really struck me is um, I felt like I suddenly had two families. I obviously had to take care of my, my family that I'm related to and live with, um, but I also had to take care of this group of people that were looking to us with, you know, no experience living through a pandemic ourselves to help kind of guide um, the employees. And, you know, they aren't looking for us for all the answers, but we have to make decisions that pertain to their lives. And we take that very, very seriously. So navigating that, working on the communications for that, I think we're very fortunate. Um, I'm fortunate to work in technology. I'm fortunate to work in the Bay Area. Tech companies work sort of ahead of this. We shut down March 5th. I think we were, you know, when we weren't even the first of the tech companies to shut down, we had shut down in Japan a little bit earlier. And in retrospect, you know, so grateful we made that call leading up to it. It felt like the craziest thing in the world to do. And now, Obviously, it looks it looks great. We immediately had to start thinking, as I said, about our customers. Um, so in addition to the short term about the physical commitments we had made to go meet with them and run events with them and host them, um, they were coming to us immediately with a, um, oh my gosh, we were supposed to roll this out over six months. How about six days? Um, and we saw you know, just inbound interest at every stage of the funnel from existing customers wanted to deepen their usage and get tips on how to work better to, oh my gosh, we have to figure out how to start using Slack today because we're going to be remote as of Monday, um, which is, you know, as a marketer, you dream of your demand turning on a dime. Um, as a human being, you never dream of the world being in crisis or that being a part of that demand. So it was a very humbling experience for us. And we really thought about, um, first of all, what could we do? And second of all, how could we do it in a way that felt authentic to who we were and had us show up in a way that really felt helpful? And I feel like what was really fortunate, and I take very little credit for this because Slack I've only been there a year, it's been around for six. Slack has always had empathy as one of its core values and this concept of being deeply human as a product, but it's also um, the way that we do our customer experience, customer support. Um, we have a large customer support organization, very committed to one-on-one, -on -one, very high touch um, customer support. So as we're thinking about what can we do to help all these people getting started um, or trying to deepen usage or trying to get new tips for how they can manage remotely, work remotely, we said, what if we, what if we started offering one-on-one -on -one remote consultations? Like here's how to work remotely, sign up, anyone who wants it, customer, not a customer, five-person company, 500,000-person company, it doesn't matter. And um, that became kind of our focal point. As a marketing team, we pivoted basically everything we were doing to lean into remote work. What assets did we already have? What assets could we build? How do we re-architect the website, um, the campaigns that we're running, everything to do that. But it all leaned into that, the call to action. Yes, we'd love you to get started with Slack, but 
read this article, sign up for a consultation, look at this case study. These are things that will help you. And I feel like leading with that empathy, first of all, helped because you don't want to be the marketer that's out there saying, um, it's the world falling apart, you know, 1099 for this, you know, face mask. Or, um, or people say you're missing out if you're not using yeah. it. It's almost like Ex- here. Exactly. So I think leading with empathy was authentic to me where it was the right tone for the moment. It also, of course, had the impact. First of all, we had unprecedented, well, everything's been unprecedented. The demand for those one-on-one consultations was beyond what we could have ever dreamed of. Um, And so we got volunteers from all over. It was everybody was customer support. Um, So people were signing up, doing the bell hours. Does anybody speak Farsi? I mean, it was really neat to see the company rally together. Um, we got so much great intel from that too. What are people most concerned about? Um, you know, you always want to, what is the right message? What is the right information your customer needs? Well, we were getting it fed back to us real time. Common themes we're hearing. This is one of the biggest challenges. This is a tip that's really resonating with people. It allowed us to continue to iterate on our, our messaging and our marketing. And then of course we had to think about sort of the market at large and what we're going to do for, you know, the companies that need our help right now, um, how we're going to show up. And that's where we also started to pivot to what can we do to even deepen this, make it better. And that's where we came up with the nonprofit program, um, removed the cap on nonprofit uh, seats to really expand our free offering. And also um, looked at ways that we could lean in and really help these organizations that were either shifting to do COVID response or sometimes bringing new teams together to deal with COVID response. And that was really an inspiring moment um, and one that I, I think I'm so proud that the company was able to pull off. That's, that sounds like the culture has become only stronger as, as due to this crisis. Um, Julie, I'm, I'm curious, you know, we're in the tech community. I feel like I take Slack for granted. I feel like I think just everyone has to know about Slack. There's just no other way. Um, but I'm assuming there's a bunch of folks out there who actually have no idea what Slack is. Um, how have you thought about brand during this time? Because you've talked a lot about the actions that you've taken. Um, where have you decided to invest from a brand standpoint? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and it's actually one I've, I've heard other CMOs talking about. And I always joke when I, when I came to Slack, I had a CEO who loves brand and a CFO who says sort of show me the money, where's the ROI. Um, and what's been really interesting at this time is even my CFO is like, forget about the numbers. Like what's going to get the word out there about Slack and, and make people understand we're here to help. And so that's been really inspiring to see. I still feel it's important to continue to invest in things like performance. I think of that as, sure, it's about ROI and, and driving leads, but it's also about getting the information out there. Our offers may have changed. It may be less about sign up, download. It may just be like, hey, here's some resources that can help you. But I think we're still a new enough product. Not, not, not everybody knows what Slack does. I didn't use Slack before I came to Slack. So letting people know that it's it's an option out there who are seeking those types of resources is important. We have definitely shifted though a lot to brand, um, obviously pulling out of things like billboards. Um, but we did our first TV advertising since I had joined Slack. I think it had been a couple of years, um, but we did it around, you know, we were just hearing all these inspiring stories getting more and more momentum around these COVID um, relief organizations. There's one group that helped put together a Slack uh, instance for doctors all over the country to share what they were seeing on the front lines. You know, this has all been evolving so quickly. It's really helpful for doctors across the country, across the globe to be say, this is something I try. This is something I've seen. This is a day four prognosis. Like it's, it's helpful to get them together. So these were really inspiring us and we wanted to be able to amplify it in a way that, um, would let even more organizations know that this was a possibility and that we were there to help. So we ran a TV commercial, we produced it 
very quickly. It's text, music, and, and you know, some tweets. And uh, the call to action is really just to go to our COVID resource page, which is all about helping nonprofits in COVID response. Um, and we got a, a ton of great feedback on that, which was great. We're, we're kind of considering what else we might do on that front. So I think it's really important to, to have that sort of bigger view at this time. Um, and we're again, fortunate. We're in a position where we aren't a restaurant. We aren't a travel business. It's like we don't have to cut everything back. So if we're going to continue to look at investing in marketing, how do we change that mix to meet people where they are right now? That makes sense. How um, how quickly are you changing your investments too? It's it's a, a question that keeps showing up in the Q and A, um, especially from a channel standpoint. Yeah. Um, well, investment strategy planning. I joked for the first week it was like five days at a time um, max, and then it went to kind of two week sprints. And now we're trying to get more like quarterly plan, both a realistic look that it's a month at a time. We feel like a lot of the world is not going to change that much over the next few months. We know that there's countries and states and cities making different decisions. We are we're kind of staying the course in terms of where we think people are and what they're going to need. The messaging will certainly evolve um, based on sort of where we are, but channel investments I think will stay pretty fixed. We did have an opportunity to pivot and scramble very quickly um, between sort of March and April and, and make some big changes there. And that was very helpful. And because of the way our quarters lined up, it allowed us to get ahead for Q2 planning, which we're in now. Um, I, I think that's pretty baked, but we always, I always reserve obviously some budget to be held back to opportunistically look at things as they evolve. So we'll be making decisions as we go. That makes sense. Julie, that was so helpful. Thank you so much for jumping in and sharing all of that wisdom with us. It's fascinating to hear how Slack's been doing over the last few weeks. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Rachel, I'm going to send it back to you. Awesome. Uh, let me just make sure I have the right schedule in front of me. So next up, oh my God, maybe one of the funniest people in our industry, Orchid, are you here? I am. That's a lot of pressure. I know. I know. I'm sorry, but you really are. Things that I think inside that should stay inside, but I just say them out loud. So. I know. Uh, you know, another thing, I know you guys work for competitive companies, but you and Linda really are cut from very similar cloths. So I hope one day uh, you guys can collaborate in some way uh, oh. because I really think that there's a true friendship there. Right. Uh, I was thinking that, but I didn't want to be like too forward, you know? No, I'll say it. I'll say it. You're, you're two amazing women who luckily uh, entered my life via Micmac, so I'm honored to know both of you. Uh, so, Orchid, you oversee, you know, all of marketing innovation at Nestle. And, you know, when I speak to other folks who've been in your role, COVID sometimes, it seems, in certain organizations has shut down innovation because people mm -hmm. are so focused on the bottom line. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just curious, like, how has your role evolved during this time? Sure, sure. I'm very busy. <laughs> I think people are, are very surprised to hear that. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in a company where we have a lot of really talented people being focused on getting food to our consumers, right? Um, and so, you know, my role is really about seeing what's coming around the corner. So I've probably got about eight or nine live projects right now um, where they were all going to deliver over the course of the next 12 to eight months, 18 months. And now it's kind of immediately. <laughs> and the reason behind that is because when it comes to innovation, you're really planning for a digital first future, right? 
I mean, there are different things that we're looking at, like, you know, grocery e-commerce on the rise. And that graph used to be like a steady graph up and all of a sudden it's a spike. Now you're seeing it come down a little bit. Um, and I don't necessarily, I think nobody has a crystal ball, right? Um, but I do think that this extreme swing into a digital only future, like will probably come down somewhere in the middle after things open up again, right? Uh, but what it is interesting is that, and I'll use a personal example, we're shelter, shelter in place in Michigan right now where my in-laws live. Uh, I'm usually based in San Francisco, but we came out here before shelter in place because I've got a three-year-old um, who's running around with a bucket on her head somewhere. And, you know, the, the thinking there was that, hey, like, let's at least be with family in case daycare closes down, right? And it ended up doing that. And so now that we're out here, we're trying to buy groceries within the first couple of weeks. And you're doing a mix of instant delivery and, you know, Instacart and a lot of those delivery services had a lot of bottleneck because when you think about it, the average grocery store that the Instacart shopper is still shopping, shopping, it's not laid out for efficiency, it, you know, because if it were, you'd probably group your staples together. You'd probably have those items in a box, quick pick, something more like, more like an Amazon warehouse, to be frank. Um, and so there was a bottleneck there. Uh, and so we had to be creative. It's like, all right, are we going to buy seafood DTC? Like, I guess we're doing that. Or even you're seeing the local grocery store that had more high-end products and they're being asked to, um, to really just like pick off the shelf and like stand, like we were emailing in our orders. So it was really interesting to see, you know, who was kind of ahead or who had been ready from a retailer perspective or even a DTC perspective and who really wasn't. And I think through all of that too, you're seeing uh, consumer expectations reset a little bit. I think pre-COVID, I'm going to talk about shipping. Should we talk about shipping? Yeah, I mean, last mile delivery, shipping, that's where, that's where the opportunity is. Yeah, so what's been really interesting is that pre-COVID, you kind of saw this, uh, this battle on immediate delivery. Like it was for, for a while, it was two-day delivery, then, you know, next day delivery, and then same-day delivery. And, now, and, and the reality is like, do we need things delivered the same day, especially when you think about the packaging implications and sustainability? And so it's interesting now where we're kind of reset a little bit where it's okay to order something and not have it immediately. So, so I am actually very curious about how that's going to play out, um, you know, post COVID, right, in the new normal. When, um, and I know you're thinking like 12, 18 months ahead, but at Nestle, given the shift in consumer demand, are you guys reforecasting your business? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a reason they don't let me on the finance team. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think the reality is like we are we are focused on the today and we're also kind of focused on on the next thing, right? And I think that things change every day. So, I mean, they don't let me into the spreadsheets for a lot of reasons. Um, but at least for us, you know, it really is about how do you start to see what consumers are telling you that they're going to do and how do you react on that? Mm -hmm. How do you plan for it? Um, so, so that's been interesting. But I think like through all of this, you're really seeing a lot of, um, it, it, one thing that kind of strikes me time and again is that there are a lot of memes pre-COVID where you see a bunch of people sitting at dinner and they're just staring at their phones, right? Like I'm very guilty of doing that. My mm -hmm. husband hates it. Um, but now that we have all this time to consume all of the electronics possible, uh, now it's really about how do we reconnect? 
Um, how do we connect with our friends and family? Um, you know, my daughter just, I, I'm surprised you haven't gotten a FaceTime from my daughter yet. She's, you know, just You're going down my contacts. Well, for me, for her to call you, I'd have to change her avatar to like Elsa or Anna because I've done that to a couple of my best friends and we just called them. And I was like, yeah, it's totally Anna. It's not Anna. Um, but what's interesting about that is you know, at the beginning when she just started FaceTiming people, I was like, no, you have to text first. Like you have to text and then you have to ask. <laughs> And then you have to arrange it. You can't just like call someone like a crazy person. And now, like, I think there are some behaviors like, yeah, you can just like have a face-to-face -face conversation with someone. So like what kind of behaviors will stick? And I think what's interesting too is to see what human truths really come out um, through all of this. You said you're working on eight to 12 projects. So yeah. like, I mean, what are your, some of the, the trends that you're focused on? Yeah, um, I'm trying to find a common thread with all of them, um, because when it comes to innovation, for us, it's very much problem first. Uh, I think that when innovation, and especially around emerging tech, it's so easy to get into that bright and shiny syndrome. Uh, you know, so many times, I'm sure we've all had been in those conversations where someone's like, and I'll use blockchain as an example, I'll pick on Amber. Um, but, you know, blockchain, we should do something in blockchain. I had a lot of those conversations years ago. I was like, cool, cool, cool. What do you want to do with it? They're like, I don't know, like, it'll solve a problem. I was like, great. Um, so for us, it's really about, you know, what is that consumer problem? And then technology is only a part of that solution in terms of delivery or experience or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So the different problems, I'll kind of focus on the problems we're looking at. Yeah. One of them is that we're in recession, right? Um, you know, a lot of people are losing their jobs or, you know, getting hours cut back or getting furloughed and that's a reality. So how do we create solutions, digital in, in, in my sense, um, that really provide them with what they're looking for, but at a better price or not feeling like they're compromising on something? Mm -hmm. uh, that sounds very amorphous because there's a couple of projects I can't talk about because <laughs> we're not there yet. Um, but those will put, probably be launching the, later this year. But it's, you know, what's interesting is that we have a very vast coffee portfolio within Nestle. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people don't know this, but um, we have, we manufacture and distribute the Starbucks products mm -hmm. in grocery stores. Uh, we also have Chameleon Cold Brew. We've got Coffee Mate, Natural Bliss. I mean, it kind of just runs the gamut. So I think, you know, what we're really looking at there is that there's a piece of pretty popular financial advice where it's like, oh, if you want to save money, just stop, you know, going to your local cafe and buying coffee. Um, I don't think it's very good financial <laughs> advice, but it is something that's commonly known that people think about. In Manhattan, they say avocado toast. Right, right. In San Francisco as well, because it's like $15 and you're like, maybe just buy an avocado. So I think that, you know, looking at taking the coffee example, people will be cutting back on their out-of-home coffee consumption, right? Or they're going to try to find savings somewhere, but they're not going to want to compromise on what is essentially on the Maslow, like, hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. So how do we provide a solution for them um, that really fills that need and not feeling like they need to compromise? So that's mm -hmm. kind of an example of a problem where we're like, all right, like, what is the solution here? Because um, otherwise, we'll just get pulled in like a million different directions. Cool. Um, in in terms of like Nestle's position on COVID, from a messaging standpoint, a social responsibility standpoint, like how have you seen your company come together to address this? Yeah. 
I mean, it's, I'm honestly amazed by my colleagues every day. Um, you know, we are doing a master brand level communication um, around, you know, really supporting our workers, supporting our communities. You know, corporate has announced that, you know, we're, we're not going to like furlough, lay off anyone for three months, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so there's a lot being done at the corporate level. Um, but actually what surprises me each and every day is that individual brand teams will actually say, how do we give back to our community? So Chameleon's a really good example where they said, hey, we really wanna make sure that we deliver coffee um, to the first responders, right? Um, or to the hospitals um, or to healthcare workers. And so that's something where the brand team just came together and they're like, we're just gonna go do this. So I think it's really nice to see that balance of like, of course, like from a large corporate level, we are responding. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you know, we're giving enough room and like empathy for each brand to like go ahead and do what they think is right uh, that benefits their immediate community. Mm, got it. Um, so Nestle, like Campbell's uh, big corporation, corporate culture, you know, I've been to a bunch of your offices. Yep. Uh, you guys like to use Microsoft Teams. Sure so, yeah. so, <laughs> so um, how has the company culture changed? Mm. What do you think is here to stay? Yeah. What do you think is going to go back to normal? Yeah. I also do use Slack though, Julie. I do love Slack. Um, so, you know, it, it's really interesting because like my personal perspective was always that the future of work was going to be decentralized, remote and asynchronous. Uh, and I think that if you're part of a, there were a couple of projects I was working on um, as I was volunteering with Tech for Campaigns where like it was very much that, right? Like you just had people who were just spread out all over the place. Sometimes you'd like answer overnight and then someone would answer the next day. Um, but, you know, Nestle, we were on Skype for a very, very long time. And there's still, when it comes to big companies, there's still a lot of value put into those face-to-face -face interactions. Mm -hmm. There's... Uh, a lot of projects or questions are answered by just bumping into someone in the hallway. I mean, that is just, you know, how a lot of, sometimes like yep. you also get left out of projects because you're like, oh, I just wasn't there. Um, so what's interesting is that now you've forced everybody um, to go onto Teams to really, you know, just like rely on technology to get that done. Now, that's not a perfect world. I mean, like I've got a toddler who's like upstairs with my husband, you know, it's, it's not, I think one thing that we have to remember is that we're not working from home. We're at home working during a pandemic. Um, so I, you know, the one thing it's that, a twist. It, yeah, I mean, it's not cause like I work from home a lot. I mean, you know, this, I am based in San Francisco. I sit with the global innovation team, but I'm one of the only people from the U S function out there. So most of my colleagues were on our, in our East Coast headquarters. So I'm pretty used to working from home or not physically being with my team. And this is vastly different. Like you're doom scrolling at night on Twitter. Like, so you go to bed at two. I'm like taking care of my sourdough starter. I'm like, don't even know why. I mean, there's just like a lot of different things you're coping with. And then add on top of that, trying to like being a type A person who's trying to maintain that same level of performance while also trying not to be neglectful of your child. So, you know, what I worry about to be perfectly honest is that if working at home, if, if during this period, some things don't work for certain people, I don't want it to be blamed on the lack of technology or that working from home isn't a good solution because it's really not, it's about working from home during a crisis. You know, I just don't want people to conflate the two. 
Well, Orchid, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Uh, folks, you can follow her comedy on Twitter, oh. LinkedIn. She has a podcast called Mama Juice. I know we're so behind on it, but you know, it's just me and my, my co-host just complaining about our children in the most loving way possible. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again. Anda, I think we should open it up to the crew and take a question or two. Yeah, that'd be great. So Team Notch, if you can put us back into grid view, um, everyone else with their videos on, don't do anything embarrassing because you're about to be seen by everyone who's on the line. Um, so actually following up on your question, Rachel, I thought that was a really interesting question. Um, there was someone, I need to figure out what the name was because I want to acknowledge the, oh no, anonymous attendee. So here we go. Um, anonymous attendee wanted to know, as audiences have more time to select from the uh, to select the sources from which they want to consume content from, are the panelists taking this into consideration to review their brand and awareness budget allocations towards more premium partners? Mm. Um, and I'm actually I want to add on a little thing there and to ask how much are you using your own and operated channels and amplifying those versus working with premium partners to put your content on their properties. Who wants to go first? I'm going to call people out if you don't offer yourself, so be ready. It's coming. <laughs> okay, Julie, let's go. Great. Perfect. Um, <laughs> so, and I apologize, I have to drop off in three minutes, so this can be Great. my farewell. Um, how much are we, um, so we are, um, we are definitely, we're using content more. So we've, ha we've had actually a very robust, even before I joined Slack, content team it sometimes hasn't been as connected even though it was part of marketing to the rest of marketing they were almost like this machine just cranking stuff out but it wasn't always aligned to what sales was asking for or product launch or stuff like that and i think i can't remember which of my i think everyone has said this point like this has given us so much focus and prioritization we'd already done a good job of tying our content strategy closer to our marketing and business objectives now it's like the clearest mandate of all time and the content team has been so heroic from day one, um, turning up immediately with, this is what we already have. These are some things that we think we could refresh and do. And then this is our identified list of stuff. And then here's some experts we think we should work with. So from a content strategy, we're leaning in more than ever. Um, in terms of premium partners versus uh, our own channels and where they are, I would say we're putting more money behind content now than we probably have before and getting more stuff out. We were uh, we were in a Washington Post newsletter. We're doing more media partnerships. And it's, I think, um, less about premium, not and more just about like, where are people seeking the information that we're providing? How can we match that up really well? And if, if anything, we've almost given up on, we've been so hyper-targeted, you know, IT decision maker, this size company, this whatever. Um, and now it's like, all right, who needs our help? And how do we get the information, not even necessarily gated, not trying to lead to a sale, but how do we get the information that we have out there? So we've definitely shifted our investment from that uh, perspective. I'm going to another meeting. Thank you so much for having me, everybody. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Linda Orchid, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I mean, we've done both. Um, on the premium partnerships, uh, that really is about speed and scale. Um, that was where, you know, the bulk of our content was happening. So to be able to just accelerate that, amplify it, uh, was an easy decision. Um, but we also took it as an opportunity. So a lot of what Denise said resonated for me, right? We, um, it, we 
see this as an opportunity to turn back on some of the owned um, aspects and to use it as a, because of that captivated audience um, to experiment and to use this as a way to test and learn around what works, just even internally capabilities, um, and obviously what's resonating with our, um, our consumers. So we also um, launched, you know, a quick program really quickly called Together We Cook, and that's something that we've launched on social uh, to really test the waters, to say, hey, you know, offer substitution ideas, you know, give little tips and tricks, just knowing that there's a lot of people cooking out there that maybe just, you know, haven't been doing a lot of that prior to this, so. Yeah, we're, we're doing something um, on Toll House uh, that, is, that is pretty similar and make it great. Um, you know, that's just on IGTV and you may hear my toddler screaming in the background, so I'm going to have to go real soon. Um, but you know, you're, you're seeing this trend around, uh, something called procrastinating, uh, which is really interesting. You know, instead of just regular procrastinating and like watching a lot of Netflix, uh, you're actually seeing a lot of people baking because if you are producing something physical and tangible, it feels like you're not wasting time for some reason. Uh, so, you know, stress baking is on the rise as well. So we actually have on IGTV, our baker, uh, Meredith, who actually, she's a Nestle employee. Um, she's usually in our test kitchen on like the 29th floor and at three o'clock every day, she bakes cookies and sets them out. It's pretty great. Uh, and so now she's, oh, hey. <laughs> hi, Quinn, you wanna say hi? I got iPad. You got an iPad? <laughs> I I forgot them. Okay. Yeah, it's the best oh, thing. Okay, do you want to just come say hi really quick so I can prove that I have a child? <laughs> oh okay. My God. Okay. Well, anyway, so please check out Meredith on the Toll House <laughs> Instagram. Quick, can we say bye? Bye. Bye. Thanks for having us. Bye. <laughs> so I actually uh, just bought a book called Procrastinating. So this must be a thing that's happening across the board. Not that I know how to bake. I know how to bake one thing, um, but I, I plan on expanding that <laughs> for the next few weeks. Um, so I wanted to thank everyone. Um, these ideas have been just phenomenal. I feel like I've learned so much myself. Um, Rachel, anything you want to share? Anything kind of to summarize? No, I, I feel like there was major consistent themes um, in terms of you know starting to see leading indicators that we can begin to really reinvest in the way that we all wanted to go to market. Consumer behavior is fundamentally changed. That America wants comfort and hope, uh, which continues to be consistent with what we hear uh, week over week. So I echo Anda, thank you to our panelists. Thank you to everyone who stayed with us for over two hours or nearly two hours. And we will uh, be back here next week, same time, same place. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Great end of the week. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this Notch and Micmac Roundtable. We hope you enjoyed the episode and are staying safe and healthy. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at notch.com slash COVID. And if you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, please let us know by emailing onda at prosandcontent.co. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.